But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for this day, this day that you have given us to worship you. We thank you for children and their voices, and we're grateful that in so many ways they have led us in worship today. Lord, we thank you for a chance to sing and to pray and to give and to greet, to welcome. And God, we're grateful for your word that guides our path, that directs our steps. Lord, as we open Scripture today, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray, Lord, that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in rich soil. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. God, make our hands strong for service that our work in this world would be as your very own. Lord, we pray that a word of, of hope and life would be found on our lips. God, this is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, please find a Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 25. Our, our verse today, our launching verse, if you will, is Proverbs 25, verse 28, as we talk about self-control. And I know what you're thinking. It won't be as painful as you imagine, I don't think. Uh, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Have you ever ridden through a busted down city? I remember that, that old song that says, a busted downtown on the plains of West Texas. And we've all driven through that town that has seen better days, uh, a town that is vulnerable, uh, that has lost its strength. When the writer of Proverbs is talking about someone that lacks self-discipline, that lacks an inner strength, uh, controlling virtue, if you will, he talks about that person uh, as someone that is a broken down city that lacks walls. And there's not a one of us in this room that want to live that way. We don't want to be broken down and busted. We want to be vital and rich and alive and hopeful. Uh, and so today we, we pick up in our teaching series on the fruit of the Spirit, and we talk about the last one, which is self-control. And I stand here in this place, on this corner, Fifth and Webster, behind this pulpit, as someone who confesses freely that I need a lot of grace in this area of my life. Uh, I, I, I feast a lot better than I fast. Uh, and so this is a place where I need God's grace to touch me as inappropriate for growth. Uh, because certainly self-control is about the bodily desires and appetites. It is about food and drink and lust and, and all of those things. And, and I would imagine that a lot of people in this room uh, struggle in these areas of, of control of the bodily desires and the bodily appetites. That is part of self-control. But if you're sitting here now thinking, well, whoo, that's not me. I'm good. I can start making out my grocery list for the week. And you've maybe even begun that grocery list. Rice cakes, celery, uh, two liters of whoo, this sermon's not about me. Well, this is about all of us. Uh, because self-control or this control of the Spirit is something that, that God wants all of us to experience. And because we're frail and because we're human, we all struggle in this area because self-control or the rule of the Spirit is not simply about bodily appetites, as important as those are, but also about other places in our life. For instance, our thought life, 
we, we can be governed in many ways and not be governed in the way we think. Listen to these words of Paul from Philippians, uh, the Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. How often do we live this way? Paul says if you want to live the virtuous life, then your mind must be a, a virtuous mind. You must give your thoughts to those things that are, that are alive and flourishing and good and hopeful. But so often we're governed by that angry squirrel on the treadmill of the brain. They just, I just should have said, I would have said. If I have a chance again, I'll say this. And we stew on all of these kind of things, and it poisons our very soul. God would have us to be disciplined in our body, but to be disciplined in our thoughts, to be disciplined in our emotions. So often we're governed by self-pity and resentment and bitterness and a root of bitterness spoils the whole plant and about anger that is unbridled. And speech. James talks about the power of the tongue in James chapter 3. He says the tongue is a small thing, but oh so powerful. It's like that, it's like that spark that can burn down a whole forest. Powerful. And so God would have us to hear today as we think about our lives. He would have us to hear that if we lack a ruling spirit that, that reigns in the bodily appetites and the thought life and the emotions and our words, then we live like broken downtowns in need of renewal and restoration and life. Jerry Bridges said it like this. He gave this all-encompassing definition. He said, self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. Is there anyone in this room right now that you're doing, thinking, and saying things that are absolutely, totally, completely pleasing to God. Everybody gets to play today. So the question is, the question before us, if we know self-discipline is an area in our life where we can grow, if we know this to be the case, and I believe it's the case for all of us, how do we go about it? What can we do to be more like Christ at the end of this week than we were at the beginning of this week? Well, let me suggest a handful of things briefly this morning. The first thing that we can do is that we can learn to practice sound judgment about our own lives. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each a measure of faith. Or listen to it from Proverbs, same general thought, chapter 3. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. All of us go about our lives making judgments and making appraisals. Most of the time, we judge ourselves with a lot more grace than we're willing to dish out to others. Well, if they would just do this, then the world would be fine. If they just get their act together, everything would be okay. They, 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 they. Here's the deal. You're part of somebody else's cluster of they's. <laughs> Write this one down. We're all they. We're all they. And all of us need to look into the mirror and start there. With that handsome man staring back at us as we brush our teeth. With that strong, beautiful woman staring back as we pluck our eyebrows. We need to start with that person in the mirror and make a sound judgment about where we are in relation to where we can be as it relates to our life and God and the words we say and the thoughts we think and the actions that we do. In recovery, the fourth step in the 12 steps to recovery is to have a searching and fearless moral inventory of your life. That's frightening and so liberating. So liberating. If we accept the fact that God is great and that God is good and that God loves us and he's strong enough to transform our lives, then without fear and trepidation, we can get honest and real about where we are in life. And we can trust God with us warts and blemishes and all, and we can offer that life up to God and say, God, do something rich and beautiful with me. I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I believe you want me to be. And there's a gulf between where I am and where I believe I can be, and God, in your strength, help me to get there. But we got to get there before we can get there. And we got to quit talking about they and start dealing with that person right there in the mirror. So if we want to grow in this area of ruling the spirit of self-control, it begins with sound judgment. Second thing, we can commit to a community of truth and grace. We can't do this on our own. The book of Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. And we need each other in life. We need the kind of friends who love us but aren't overwhelmingly impressed by us. We don't need a confederacy of sycophants that just tell us what we need to hear. We need some real flesh and blood people who love God and who love us and who will help us tap the brakes and who will help us take the steering wheel and move to the places that, that God wants us to be. We need to open ourselves up to those kind of relationships most of the time we start out like this. How do I find those kind of people? How do I find the kind of people uh, who will encourage me and love me and support me? Here's the starting question. How can I be that kind of person? 
Because when we give ourselves to a community and we love people, not impress with them, but love them, and I'll share the truth in deep abiding love, then we'll find in the midst of the, of the goings and comings that we find those people in our lives too. Augustine believed that God, that God introduced friends. I disagree with Augustine on, on many points, but I absolutely agree with him there. I believe that God puts friends together. And friendships are a rich gift from God to help us move from where we are to where we can be, to help mature us and grow us and make us stronger. We can commit to sound judgment, and we can commit to nurturing a community of truth and grace. And here's the last one for this morning. We can commit to be a people of rugged, ruthless, and pure prayer. People that call out to God and depend on God for the strength that we don't have to live the ways he has called us to live. We need an, an alien help. We need an outside force in our life. And the way we tap that reality is to humble ourselves before God and find strength, reserves of strength that aren't inherent in us. And how do we humble ourselves? We humble ourselves by praying. I want to leave you with a, with a, a psalm today. I want you to spend this week thinking about this one. It's Psalm 86. I read this Wednesday night with some that gathered in our church. But this is a psalm that a man prays in a season of trouble, uh, when life is not all that easy. Uh, and when we're confronted with this, with this challenge and this call to grow in the area of, of self-control, this is troubled waters for all of us. Uh, and we need to hear the prayer of a heart of a person and learn the rhythms of prayer. So here we go. Uh, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. For I'm yours, I'm, I'm set apart, I'm holy. You are God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good. You are ready to forgive. You are good, and you are ready to forgive. Abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore, for great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and you've set before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, a God that is gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me 
and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, you have helped me and you have comforted me. We all need teachers to teach us how to pray ruthless and honest prayers. And this psalm is a tutor. It teaches us how to enter in to a, to a conversation with God, a kind of conversation that transforms and changes us. I would suggest that we learn a few things from a, from a prayer like this. We learn how to lay hold on God. The psalmist prays, you, Lord, are my God. You are great and you are good. You are the God of covenant and might and power. And you are the personal God that I can claim as my very own. We learn from this psalm to slow it down, to slow it down. We rush through life uh, and, and we put God in a microwave and we, we expect him to pop like corn. And God just doesn't operate that way. This psalm is, a, is a, poet, a poem that's very carefully written. It's a symmetrical poem with a very complex pattern. And all the words were robbed words from other psalms. So you had a person who sat down and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and brought those words before God that came out of his heart and out of his mind. We will not grow in the area of ruling the spirit or self-control if we don't learn how to slow it down spiritually. Slow it down and breathe in the grace that God so freely wants to offer we learn from a psalm like this how to pray the word, how to pray the promises of God. I've been a pastor nearly 20 years now. Whoo, getting old. Boggles the mind. I've gotten lost in some of the South's and Texas' best hospitals over 20 years of time. I've been to some of the great ones. I've been lost in MD Anderson. I've been lost at Baylor Medical. I'm so grateful for one hospital over the years, and that's University Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, because that hospital is idiot-proof. <laughs> the different areas of the hospital are marked out with different color tiles, and if you know where you're going, you just follow the yellow brick road, man. You just, you just get there. When it comes to prayer, we need to learn how to follow the yellow brick road uh, of, of people who have gone before us that teach us how to pray the truths of Scripture. And, and that's what this psalmist does. Uh, he prays the truths of God back to God. He can say boldly to God, bend your ear down and listen to me. Because he knows that God has said, I will hear you. Our life needs to be nurtured by the scripture because our prayers need to be enlivened by the word of God. We need to learn to pray the promises of God. And what are some of the things that he prayed? What, what did he pray to God? He asked God to do these things. He said, rejoice my soul. One of the reasons we lack control in our lives is because we lack joy in our lives. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when joy is absent, uh, we'll allow anything to fill its place, anything to fill its vacuum. And this psalmist comes before God with the word of God and prays to God, make my soul joyful again. And friends, that may be the starting point. 
as you lay hold to, a, to an increased dimension of control internally and internal strength, it may need to begin with a call on God for an internal joy that slows that squirrel in your mind down and helps you lay hold of the right kind of thoughts, that, that, that slows those passions down that, that are cravings in your life. Maybe it begins with joy. He said, unite my heart that I may fear the Lord. Scripture says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, just kind of back and forth. And here's the psalmist say, unite my heart, bring my life together, bring an internal integrity to my life. Ralph Herring said that, that the Lordship of Christ assures the unification of our personality. So many of us have a fractured personality. We're here and we're there, and we're this person and that person, depending on circumstance and situation. And here's the psalmist just saying, bring it all together, God. Bring it all together in my heart that my life can be lived out before you. And there I'll find eternal and internal strength. And the last one, he just says, give me strength. Give me your strength. It's okay to admit that you're weak. Most of us know it anyway. And you do too. And that honest confession before God, it's not to shame or to belittle, but it's to open and create possibility that God could make, make your weakness strength. Turn it into to focus and compassion. And the last one here, here's what I would suggest we learn when we learn a prayer like this. And this is totally robbed from uh, Alexander McLaren. Is that we learn how to rinse our wishes. This psalm is a whine. It's a complaint. We don't know exactly what's behind it, but the psalmist is saying, God, there's some tough people doing bad things to me. And he brings that kind of complaint, and he brings it before God. McLaren was a preacher from an earlier generation. He preached in Manchester, England, where, uh, where the Phillips are now working with college students. He preached to some blue-collar textile-type workers and to the elite of the city, and he learned how to put the cookies on the low shelf. And in thinking about this psalm and thinking about the power of complaint before God, this is what he said. He said, let us learn to make all of our wishes, our heart's cries, our annoyances material for prayer. He says, wishes that are not turned into prayers irritate, disturb, unsettle. Wishes that are turned into prayers are calmed and made blessed. Stanley. Stanley was the guy who, who found David Livingston and famously said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Stanley and his men lived for weeks upon a poisonous root, which if eaten crude brought all manner of diseases, but steeped in running water had all the acrid juices washed out of it and became wholesome food. If you steep your wishes in the stream of prayer, the poison will pass out of them. Some of them will be suppressed, all of them will be hallowed, and all of them will be calm. Troubles, great or small, should be turned into prayers. 
God wants his children, he wants us to have an internal, internal strength that empowers us to do and to think and to say things that bring him honor and glory and that bless others. And that means we got to take every scrap of our life, all of it, and lay it out bare before God and ask him to transform all of it by his grace. Bringing all those anxieties and troubles and worries and instead of just stewing on them and trying to fix every last thing on our own, trusting God with those little annoyances and those big worries and allowing him to cleanse them in his grace. When we turn that stuff in our mind and in our heart and in our mouth and in our bodies into prayers before God, it's washed out and transformed by his grace and made rich food. So we can live our life crude or we can live our life purposefully and thoughtfully before God, asking him to take our lives and transform them by his grace, for his glory. It's an opportunity out there for all of us. God, we thank you so much for a chance to worship in this place today. And we're grateful, Lord, uh, for the fruit of the Spirit and your work in our life to manifest Jesus' character. Lord, so often we live below, we live below these planes of possibility. Lord, we confess to you today, we need you. We need your strength. We need your joy. We need your inner power in our lives to think and to do and to say things that please you and bless others. Help us, we pray, in Christ's strong name. Amen and amen. Friends, please stand. We're going to sing together. Uh, if you have made private decisions that you would make public today, we invite you to come as we sing to the Lord. David?